Good morning, Josh. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Mr. Askins? I am doing excellent today. Today we have a quick um, tech bit, tech bite. Haven't come up with which way we're going to go yet on that. So maybe we'll put that out there for the crowd to try to come down on it. A quick, uh, you know, 30 minute or less how to on uh, this particular one, since there's a lot of remoteness going on uh, about Teams live events. Uh, I kind of want to put a little asterisk out there about Teams live events. So what we're going to show you is how it actually works uh, to have it come across a little more seamless and more produced with, you know, video bumpers and different things like that. It, that's a whole different different level of things that we're not going to touch on today. We're just going to touch on the basics of just setting up a live event and what the different options are inside of there. How's that sound today? Sounds perfect. I like it. Very good. So so we know that Teams comes with multiple ways to communicate and collaborate. So right off the top, we're going to we're going to cut some of them up and put them off to the side because that's not what we're going to address. We're going to address only live events. So um, embedding of applications, bots, automation, uh, reports, teams can do all those things. Uh, look for a future bit or byte later on those things. But right now, what we're going to do is go over uh, those those live events bits. So that is different than a Teams meeting. And there's also uh, different security options and the ways you do things are are done differently based upon how who your audience is and how you want to get out there. So so we'll kind of cursorily touch on some of that and uh, more get you and your organization up to talking to the masses, if you will. <laughs> Yes, I think that um, a lot of people have some confusion on, you know, Teams live events. A lot of people don't know it's a thing. It's, I don't want to say hidden, but it, it's not quite obvious, as, as obvious as, you know, hit the plus and, you know, add new meeting, uh, meeting. So we're going to talk about today how to create a, a, a live event, what options exist and what uh, you, you kind of want to select based on your use case. And then we're actually going to show you what that looks like from the presenter's view, as well as the producer view and what options you have as a presenter and as a, as a producer. So um, I think the first things first, we should talk about why would I want to uh, do a live event versus just a normal meeting? Yeah, so there, there's a couple of reasons why you'd want to do a live event. So meetings are more interactive for teams and clients and vendors and, and people you want to you want to interface with and have a screen share and and give control back and forth with uh, all the options that come along with all the various myriad of of collaboration meeting, be it Zoom or WebEx Teams, WebEx, you know, all those various options that are out there. Um, Teams does those, right? So the live event sets itself apart by um, almost if I were to equate it to a like product, like go to webinar. Uh, that's one of the competing products that are out there for Teams Live events. Now, that's a separate product from Cisco, and it is you know an enterprise class product, and it's it's a it's a good standard out there. Though we find that some of the flexibility in being able to have a presenter use Teams as its foundational connectivity. If you can run Teams and you've, if you've shared content, uh, be it a PowerPoint or now video with audio on Teams, if you've done that, then you can be a presenter in a Teams live event with, with much ease. So 
if you have a panel and a panel discussion and you want to get it out to a large amount of people and you want to have the option to have, you know, a Q&A panel, much like a virtual conference or a webinar, Teams Live events is that option for you. Now, the other thing that I should note uh, to say that when you have a Teams meeting, you have Teams as the client and what peripherals you can share and what software you can share. With Teams live events, you can go to another level with some third-party things that make it um, more produced. Uh, for instance, I'll use OBS as an example. So you can actually use OBS, which is a a, a tool to bring different scenes in play so you can cut scenes and cameras and have graphics real time popping on the screen as in addition to presentations and all the content that the presenters can pump out there so so out of the box so this is the features we're going to talk about so out of the box if you want to talk to to your 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 audience be it in your company or outside of your company and have the um, the ability to have your head there talking to the people so they can see and relate to you and then have the presentation uh, of what information you're trying to relay and then be able to bounce back and forth between, as we call little head and big head, which is the small inset of you with content or just the big you talking. You have that ability with, with Teams lives of live events, whereas with just Teams meetings, you, you just have a whole bunch of people in a room with the ability to talk to each other and randomly share content um, and just the content. Anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, I think that sounds pretty good. Uh, the other thing I wanted to add in was um, there's a couple different options and a couple different settings, and we're going to go through those in the demo. And for those of you listening on a podcast form, definitely check out the associated blog and videos we're going to have on uh, this, but we'll definitely talk through the demo as well, which I think will be valuable. But a couple other things uh, when you're starting to think about your live event before you dive in, um, there's a a number of roles in a Teams live event that doesn't necessarily exist in a normal Teams meeting. Uh, they, I guess they kind of exist in theory, but actually in practice and assigning them uh, does not exist. And those roles are the producer, the presenter or presenters. I guess I should say producer or producers, presenters or presenters, uh, and uh, attendee slash attendees. Um, so basically the producer uh, is the one that's actually going to be behind the scenes, actually putting everything into the live queue. Um, so when you put something into the queue and then send it live, that's what uh, the attendees are seeing. That could be, as Michael said, big head, little head, um, little head being content like a screen share uh, or a PowerPoint presentation. Uh, with your face kind of lower right, uh, or you can have big head, which is just you talking uh, if you're just giving a, a verbal presentation. Um, and then the presenters are the ones that are going to be those big head, little head. As a producer, you can also be a presenter. It's kind of hard to do that because you kind of have to juggle multiple hats. And it's kind of hard to you know give the presentation while also making sure things are in queue. And that's where the benefit of having multiple producers and multiple presenters come in. Should also be noted that when you're a producer, you do have some limitations that presenters don't have. So, for instance, um, as of the recording, uh, we're hoping that this is a feature that gets put on roadmap. But as of the recording, if you're a producer, um, 
you're necessarily supposed to be behind the scenes, right? And presenters are the ones on stage being able to be out there. And so if you happen to hold that hat twice, there are some limitations to what you can do. So for instance, um, in, in our day and age of remote working, a lot of individuals want to do uh, a custom background blur. So that creates a challenge when, when, in it, when you're a producer because – your, your machine and your resources, everything are tied up into making everyone else um, able to do what they need to do. So some of those features that you would be as a presenter are not available to you. Just throwing that as, a, as an asterisk note. Yep. And I think that in most of, um, you know, the most of the use case of the presenter uh, having the same hat as the producer is usually for something typically for like reading questions. So you can uh, have your voice out there and kind of moderate the questions, um, which is easier to do than actually giving some some presentation material and move, moving yourself live. An important note for Teams live events, which is a perfect time to bring it up now, um, if you are the person that's live, that just means that your video is live and your content potentially is live, depending on if you have any. But every presenter, once the meeting goes live and all producers, uh, that audio that you're talking uh, is, is also going live. So even though your video might not be live, your audio is always live once you get into the past the pre-live and when that little red red marker says live anything you say is being sent out and potentially recorded so be careful about that one yeah for sure so so we usually layer in um additional roles outside of the team's role and one of those roles are either moderator or q a moderator so that role of a producer if there's more than one, what we like to do is have that Q&A. Uh, there's a lot of logistics around how you handle that. And, and I think that's more of a production, your production style. Um, but that Q&A bit is handled a lot of the times by the producer. So they're man managing the Q&A panel, moving it from in to active for everyone to see and ask it maybe through that micro that live microphone come off mute and ask that to the panel or, or whoever the main presenter is, if you have a main presenter who's tying multiple presentations together. So there are some additional roles that, that are not uh, built-in technical roles, but you may hear us refer to those. Awesome. So uh, do you have any extra guidance to give before we hop into the demo and kind of talk through it and what that looks like for all those specific options? Yeah, for sure. So so what I like to do, and, and this is something that will make sense to you after the demo, but one of the things that are that is important is mapping out whose role is what. Uh, and especially if you have multiple producers, the thing that you want to be cognizant of is like if someone sees someone talking and you need to move them into the live stream uh, so that they're 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 visible to the, the attendees, the one thing you want to do is make sure that you don't have two people scrambling to drag up and then who's next. And uh, because your, your on-deck queue is individual to you as a producer, uh, and, and we'll and we'll see this. We'll send screenshots. We'll embed those or or put a video out there on what that looks like from a producer perspective. But having all those roles mapped out, who's the moderator? Who's handling Q and A? If somebody gets disconnected, uh, who's the backup producer? You know, how do you handle the logistics of who's what and who's doing what on a timeline? Is is critically important for this to to come across professional and well. So so that's not necessarily a technical bit. That's more of a logistics bit. But I th 
think we should get ready to do the demo. So you ready? Awesome. Absolutely. So while I'm, while I'm sharing my screen, I wanted to bring up, uh, you know, kind of reiterate a little bit what Michael said and, and extend it a little bit as well. Um, make sure you have a list of who's doing what. Make sure people aren't stepping on each other's toes because you don't want somebody clicking, somebody going live. And then you're another, you know, producer, you know, doing the opposite. So definitely keep that on track. That's a good call out. And something else to keep in mind with that is it's definitely super, super uh, advised, I'll say, uh, not always possible, but advised to do a, either a dry run or uh, have at least some sort of template of who's going to talk. It makes the producer's life so much easier if you know, okay, Mike's going to talk, then Josh is going to talk, then Gary's going to talk, and whoever's going to talk. If you have that, and you know, there's going to be Q and A and banter back and forth, and the producer kind of has to just roll with the punches there and figure out who's talking and click on them and send them live. Um, but for the main body of the content, if you have that kind of workflow and that timeline, it'll be very helpful for the producer. Mike, can you see my screen? I can see your screen. Awesome. So you can see here, we have a Microsoft uh, Teams window open with one of our test users here, Gary. Um, what we're doing is we go onto the side here and go into the calendar. And when you go into the calendar, uh, as many of you probably know, you have the option to add a new meeting or meet now. Um, if you have the correct license type, you can have this little drop down arrow that is Teams Live Event. I want to touch on that real quick. Uh, license type is important while we're in here. So if you have a home or free version of Teams, or if you're not on an E1 through E5 license, this option is not available to you. This is for E1 through E5 licensed uh, organizations. Correct. And the benefit is um, that limitation is only for the person that's going to be scheduling and hosting this live event. You can have producers and you can have um, uh, attendees uh, as well as presenters that are actually a lower tier of, of teams, which is and, and if they're external presenters, they don't have to be licensed at all. They just need to be able to join um, with a team's client. Mm -hmm. So when we go into live event, you'll notice a number of uh, options that don't necessarily come up when you're creating a normal Teams meeting. You'll see that you are setting up a live event. Um, notice that you're going to invite intend attendees after the fact. So keep that in mind. You don't have to add the, the attendees in the list like you normally would. So you'll give it a name. Give it a location if necessary. The location is important if you are doing this internally. So if you're, say, a larger organization and you want to get a all-hands meeting together, uh, or once you get back to your, your offices, the one thing you want to do is put a location of where the event is streaming or occurring from. That way, if you're going to give uh, an opportunity for a live audience, they'll know where the event's coming from. Again, it's not necessary. So then you give the basic information, start uh, date and end date, start time and end time. Obviously, your time zone is important. And then any details you want to provide about the live event. Finally, on the screen, you want to invite the presenters. So I'm going to add another test account that I have here. Notice that this is an external account as well. So I'm adding a presenter that is external. Notice the organizer is obviously by default set to a producer. You can change them to a presenter. I'm going to add this external user as a presenter. So we have one of each type. 
When we go to the next screen, you'll notice a number of different uh, options as well. So the live event permissions is super important. This is one of the security settings Michael was talking about. So the top option here is people and groups. Only the people and groups that you specified uh, can watch that live event. So that would be the people that you're uh, sending that to um, in the previous screen, as well as any people and groups you're going to share to here. Next, you have org-wide settings. So everyone in your organization can watch that live event. As Michael was saying, if you have an organizational uh, event like a town hall meeting or a company meeting, this would be perfect for that. You won't have to actually add everybody or add an all group. Uh, Sign-in is, sign is required for this. Everybody in your tenant will have access to that event. It's worth noting that the top two uh, options, there are three options for permissions, live event permissions. The top two options are based upon your organization's active directory and how you ha have them handled into groups. The last option, which you're going to talk about soon, um, is one where it does not have a dependency on your active directory, and that's public. Yes. So public is important when most of your organization or most of your attendees, I should say, are outside of your organization. While you can have some uh, people in groups in here that are external, they would have to be associated in your active directory, your active directory as a, a guest user. Whereas public, you can have anybody, uh, whether they're inside your active directory or not, no sign in will be required for this. An important note is in the post uh the post documentation that you get, which includes an Excel sheet of all the attendees and when they entered or when they exited, you won't have those uh, good details unless they chose to sign in themselves about who these people were that joined or did not join. Yeah, we often see that option occur when uh, an individual has a challenge with their team's client and they just say, uh, join by web, public. Um, we, I usually, to your point, I usually encourage people if their organization is still external to you and you're not connected in any affiliation with, with federation or, or in a group is when you do select public, you encourage them to sign in with your, with their live ID. And you can even as an individual use your personal live ID to join the meeting, which gives better insight into, into who's actually joining your live event. So at the very bottom, you have a couple of uh, basic um, options here. Um, so you have how we produce your live event. By default, we have Teams. There are some external apps and services um, that Michael was talking about, and you would select that here and select the settings based on that specific app or device. But if we're going to use Teams for this, um, note that recording will obviously be available to producers and presenters. You can optionally make that recording available to attendees as well. It'll actually start that recording as soon as the live event begins. And we'll show what that means here in a second. Captions, note it's in preview. You can actually have live captions on your event and up. Uh, you can translate that up to six uh, different languages, but you can give the spoken language you select here, translate it to up to six. Finally, this is what I was talking about earlier, the attendee engagement report. This will show when attendees actually joined and when they left, uh, if they interacted, had any Q&As, et cetera. Um, this report is really meaningful if everybody does sign in. So if you're using that last option, please um, try to ask people or encourage them if they can to sign in. Finally, you can optionally select if you want to have a Q&A se uh, se section in your presentation. Um, I always go ahead and check that uh, to get some interaction from the end users, but you can turn that off if this really isn't a Q&A type session. Couple Finally, things. Couple things to note if, before we go on, if we can scroll back up. 
Um, the one thing I wanted to touch on was the recording available to attendees. I know a lot of a lot of organizations think that it's uh, super simple to get that messaging out to those who, who are registered or who are on and maybe had a bounce so they can get the rest of the information. Uh, most organizations, and I know when we do uh, live events for larger organizations, we do not include that as an option. Uh, the, the recording will go to producers and they can add things in post like titles and credits and thank yous and things of that nature. So by default, uh, it, it usually likes to make it available to attendees. I, from a business flow, I usually turn that off and make it available through my organization's um, public channels. Good call out. Uh, finally, pretty quick, we have the support page. So this will give uh, your attendees assistance if they're having any issues connecting to your live event. By default, it gives you a, a Microsoft support page, but you can change this to your own support page to give them more, more information. And with that, you're ready to schedule your live event. So you click on the schedule button. And once it loads, it'll show you the summary. Notice it shows all of your, your organizers and all of your uh, presenters and uh, producers here. This is where you can get the attendee link to send to people that will just be consuming this. It's worth noting for those who are listening only. So the, the the panel that's in front of us is separated into three major areas. The top is just the the main um, information for attendees. On the right is who's invited as part of the event, being producers, presenters, etc. And then it has the information on the actual meeting uh, in the kind of center larger section. Um, so if you were to add the, the meeting details and information. It gives you the ability to to get that information over. Like if you have the agenda and the flow, and when you on the previous page in there, all this will show up inside of this this event. Um, and to, and the thing that's key is the attendee link. And before we go further on that, the attendee link, if we click on it, we'll see that it's massive. It's, it's extremely massive. If we were to collect it and paste it onto into a word page, it's multiple lines. It has a bunch of gibberish and a bunch of um, a bunch of numbers, letters. It just doesn't make sense to the average person. Uh, and, and we want to make sense of that. So you want to use a URL shortener as a best practice when you're doing these. Uh, I know we have a branded one for, for our organizations. Some organizations do have a branded URL shortener. You can use Bitly or something generic that's free. Uh, and here's a couple of reasons why. Here, If you made this event up and something changed and you sent out that invitation to all your people that we're looking at the, uh, thank you, you paste that in. That's a rather long, um, specifically targeted to this meeting. If it changes, you're going to be sending out a bunch of more URLs and it's going to get confusing and your attendees are going to get annoyed. So the, one of the best practice things that we recommend is that you put it in a URL shortener. That way, the meeting can always change on the back end. Like say you needed to redo this and, and just scrap it and start over because you forgot to put Q&A or if you edit it and it just gets all messed up, you, you just go and recreate this link and go to your URL shortener and update that link. That way, from, from a forward-facing uh, perspective, those who are going to attend, it's a transparent to them. They don't see it and it makes things move a lot smoother for you. 
Awesome. So one thing I wanted to note is, as Michael said, especially for the listeners, um, after the invite attendees link that he was talking about and the the uh, the invited users on the right hand side, like a normal teams, um, note that you have this this vertical or, or I should say horizontal line. Everything above that horizontal line is what you're going to put in your description. But what I want to call out is right above that horizontal line, it says, do not forward this invitation. Go to Microsoft Teams to invite additional people. That's critical, right? So after you uh, create a normal meeting, forwarding that meeting around isn't a big deal. Um, you could just add people to the meeting that way. Do not forward a Teams live event. If you want to have other producers, other presenters, et cetera, you need to define what those people are going to be. So you'll have to edit that invite and actually add them into a role as a presenter or a producer. Otherwise, it's going to get kind of confusing in the background and they're going to have issues connecting to the meeting. And then at the bottom, there's just a, a link to join that live event. So if we close this window and I switch over to the other user here, you can see that this presentation, this is this is a actually a, uh, a Mac machine where so you can see this works on both both platforms. Um, you can see that the invite was sent here and I am going to be a presenter. Um, and uh, Gary here is going to be the produ uh, producer and the organizer. So if I join as the presenter, you'll see that I kind of have to wait until Gary actually kicks off the event. Note that we are pre-live and there's not much I can do from this from this perspective. It looks pretty much like a normal Teams meeting at this point with the little exception of show Q&A. But obviously, there's not going to be anything here yet because we're in pre-live. And I'll show you what that means once we actually go live. So if we switch back over to Gary, who is the organizer and the producer, we'll go ahead and pop into this event as well. Josh, why don't you send me uh, for the link? I'll join anonymously to, to the event. Sure. I'll do it after I start to show <laughs> if you want to do that after the fact. So as we join as a producer here, you'll see a little bit of a different window. Okay. I'm not going to turn any of this on right now. So note that you have a whole different look. And for the listeners, I'm going to do the best to describe it as, as best I can here. So instead of having a, a content screen where you see somebody's face, where you see somebody's uh, screen share, you see really three main sections. On the left, you have what's called a queue. So this is going to be what is going to be uh, available for putting live next. This is a super handy feature. So when, on, the, on the very bottom, you have your your... I like to call it just the dashboard or a list of everybody that you have in uh, the, in the meeting that can be presenters uh, and obviously you as well and all of their content of their screen sharing or uh, doing any uh, content sharing. You have the ability to share your own screen here if you're going to be the moderator as well as maybe the slide advancer. Um, and you have the ability to mute everyone as well. So as I mentioned, everybody uh, in the event that is a presenter is always able to talk to the crowd once you're live. So if they're uh, walked away, they're not actually live and they forgot to mute their mic, you can mute them here as well. 
And then finally, we have live event. And on the right-hand side, that is what's going live right now. If something's in yellow, that means it's pre-live. And once it turns red, that means that that content is being shared, that window is being shared, that person's video is being shared. The content below, or the, the, the options here, the buttons below, I want to call out as well. Michael was talking about big head, little head. Um, this is big head. This is little head. What we mean by that is you can have just the video being shown, so single source, or you can have video and content as well. So this is where you can add content. This is where you can add video. And once you have anything, everything loaded in here the way you want, you can then go ahead and send live. Once it's live, you go over here and you can say start the meeting. So everything pre-live, you can get the final rundown, make sure everybody uh, is connected, do a mic check, uh, do everything to set up as you, as you want. Everything in pre-live is okay. When somebody joins, it'll say the event will start uh, soon. It won't actually start presenting to the end users until you hit that start button. It's worth noting that uh, once you hit the start button and it's live, it's live for the attendees and presenters, there is a delay. The audience will see anywhere from a seven to 15 to one minute delay. Um, which is useful. Awesome. So note back on the presenter side, I can see Gary here. And from my perspective, uh, as, as my test account externally, I don't really see any difference from my perspective to this meeting other than the Q&A. No, it looks exactly like a, a Teams meeting for me, which means what I can do is I can go ahead and share a screen. So now as I'm joining as a presenter, uh, we can go ahead and share your screen. I'll go ahead and select the whole desktop. And now I am screen sharing. So I'll just move this window around here a little bit. Uh, and then on the other side, you'll see that I have content now. So as the, as the producer, you have the ability to send presenters faces live, which I don't have a webcam on this test machine here, or you can send the content live. So I'm gonna go ahead and click this. And you click on it, notice it pops up into the queue. So you can get a bigger view, see if this is ready to go. I wanna show um, this, this user's desktop. If I wanted to, I could do split screen content so I could also add my video if I wanted to. And then finally, when you're ready, you click send live. Now, while you're pre-live, there will be an extra step. You'll go here, it's going to send live and you have to actually start the meeting. Once you have this start button clicked, you only have to click this again when you're ready to end the meeting. So one of the things that we do as a best practice is that the producer will have a slide or some sort of a full page, uh, welcome to X event or whatever, insert event name here, and they send themselves live, their, their screen share of their app live to start the event. So you're coming in, people are joined, they're in the lobby, you open it up, they have a splash screen, and then you can add the user like um, this particular user desktop then you can keep switching back and forth but it's always a good idea to not just start off pure with the desktop but also start off with kind of a splash screen or, or a welcome screen so once you're ready i'll give you one final warning uh, if you start the event it cannot be stopped and it cannot be restarted or once you stop i should say it cannot be restarted and it can last for up to 16 hours and note michael already gave this call out there will be a 10 to 20 second delay as well for your attendees 
So we're going to go ahead and start the live event. Notice it'll turn red. So while that's starting, one of the benefits, I said there were benefits to having this delay. And those benefits are, are centered around some of the captioning and the able to take the stream that is being sent and split it so it's recorded. If it was live real time or near real, real time, you'd have some challenges with being able to have all the various systems keep up with it. So, so there's a lot of stuff in Azure on the back end that is taking this and say you pick a bunch of different languages because your organization's global or you're talking to a global audience. Um, the ability to you know, have that delay actually creates a better experience for those end users. So if we switch back over to the presenter's view, notice this looks exactly like a, a Teams meeting for me. I have the ability to move my, my screens around. I could have a PowerPoint here. I could be going through a demo, what have you. Um, right now, you can see the red line around this this window or this, this whole desktop, which means I'm sharing the desktop. If I was sharing a window, say a presentation, it would just be red around that. And the red indicates that you are live. So if you're sharing that content, it does turn red. And if I go back to the... Uh, producer's view, you can see now I have the ability to select other uh, content, uh, other presenters, what have you. And if I click on one, it will pop up in the queue and I can send them live when ready. So when when my test user here is done, if I had another user that wanted to talk about that or maybe have some rebuttal to what I said, I would go ahead and click on their their face here. It would pop up here once they're they're situated and the live stream has ended, his his uh, his speech is over, his presentation is done, what have you, you go ahead and click send live to replace the current live with what's in the queue. And while this is going on, keep in mind that the moderator, uh, the, the, the presenters, as well as the producers have the ability to show the Q&A. So you'll notice in here, you can make announcements. So this will say things like, hey, Q&A is now open. Please post your questions here. You can go ahead and close questions if you want. These, this new section will show all of the questions that are be, being filtered in, and you can kind of review those and make sure they're appropriate or uh, on topic. And you can go ahead and publish either all or select questions you want into published to have other others uh, interact with that. And I think it is worth noting, I'm going to go ahead and make a test announcement here. It is worth noting that anything you type as an announcement automatically gets published. And you can have a reply string on here as well. So people can thumb up uh, the event or the question, and you can also reply to it. So you can have some back and forth in your questions as well, which is, which is why it's really helpful to have a moderator go through these questions. Finally, in the dismiss, dismissed section, if there's uh, any questions that are deemed inappropriate or not on topic or, or what have you, or you know you just don't want to answer them during this particular live event, it'll be listed here. So the moderator can go through and see if you uh, made a mistake in, in dismissing a question or have a list of the questions that were asked that aren't going to be addressed. So I see there um, that there is a chat bubble, and I'm going to give you the leading question of what's the difference between the QA and the chat bubble? Yes, yeah, so the chat is important. Chat is for the presenters and the producers, as well as anybody that uh, is internal to that meeting uh, that was specifically added when I created that live event. You can chat back and forth saying things like, 
hey, you know, I, you're having kind of static issues or I'm not ready to go live yet, switch to the next person and kind of internal uh, meeting chats to make sure the event runs smoothly. Whereas Q&A, Q&A is, is live once you click that publish button. So uh, Q&A is really meant for interacting with the audience, the attendees, whereas chat is interacting with the presenters and the producers. I see a couple of new, uh, new icons up there that's different from a, a Teams meeting. Yes. So uh, first and foremost, it's super important to show the health and performance of your uh, presentation, making sure that your network, your devices, your policies, all of that is is up to par. Uh, make sure that everything is being sent smoothly over the over the network. Uh, your camera and video processing metrics will be shown once you actually turn that on, which I'm not going to do here today. Here we have the Q&A. Here, like normal, we have meeting notes. So if you wanted to take notes throughout this meeting, you can go ahead and do that. And you can publish that after the fact for your attendees. This uh, is pretty familiar. You can show uh, the people that are uh, invited to this meeting or add new people in here. This is where you would want to add somebody as another presenter or another producer rather than forwarding the meeting. And then you have your settings and your settings pane is pretty much the same as, as uh, your normal settings in a Teams meeting. Any other questions, Mike, before we go ahead and show what happens when I end a meeting? No, I just I, I just like the fact that uh, it's so seamless from from a end user perspective. There's more of a a disruption or burden, and I say burden not in a bad way, but from a level of effort onto producers and have an understanding of how it operates. Um, so your your events, you don't have to have your presenters uh, worrying about what do I have to do? Do I have to do stuff differently? It's 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 all dialed in and tight, and and the information you get is is fantastic. Um, the only other thing that I do want to call out is is like from a producer perspective, you know, having information at your fingertips is critical. So if you have a timeline and you have a presenter who's maybe running a little bit long, and you know, having that running stopwatch on screen as a presenter is is key. So if you look in the upper left hand corner, you'll see that time is elapsing. Uh, it'll tell you the name of the presentation, the time and how many people are watching it live. And you'll see that number bounce and fluctuate. Um, you know, sometimes if, you know, the key things to look at is when it first starts, you'll see like quick ramp ups. And then shortly after it starts, you might see a couple of people drop off because of whatever reason, maybe the session's not what they thought it was or, or it's, um, they, they had a, a, distra a distraction that called them away. But then you'll see towards the end, you'll see your attendees start to drop off. Um, so having that uh, quick visibility of how many people are there and how much time is going by is important. Awesome. So one other thing I'm going to demo before I go ahead and end the meeting here today. Oops, that's, I have so many Teams meetings open right now. <laughs> If you go ahead and stop the screen share on the presenter side, it'll go back to normal where you can see all of the producers and uh, presenters. And if I go back to here, notice when every 
uh, person has their video off or is not live and there is no shared content, the audience will see a message like this one, which says the live event will continue in a moment. Notice that you can still hear the interaction of the, of the presenters and the producers, but there's nothing being shared visibly to the people at this point. So um, if you see this, that means that no content is being shared and that's normally a, a, a bad thing. Um, you at least want to have some sort of splash screen on deck, maybe your own desktop being shared, um, that it gives something a little bit more user-friendly and just this live event will continue in a moment. And then finally, when we go ahead and end this meeting, be cautious of this button. Make sure you really want to end it because there's no going back after you click this end live event. And due to the 10 to the 20 second delay, there'll be 10 to 20 seconds left of content. And then the live event will be over. So this. It's also, yeah, it's, it's also worth noting that once the button is pushed by the by a producer to end the event, any producer can end the event. That's worth noting. It, it, we, we say that with great cautious that that button should be avoided unless you truly want to end it. Um, the, the thing that's worth noting is that there's a lot of times uh, people want to do organizations want to do a debrief once it's over. So what we usually do is before the event button is pushed, we, we, we schedule it for the time that the audience will see it, but we tell people to join a little early and also stay a little bit later. So if the, your runtime is, is, is 20 minutes and you get done at 20 minutes after that button's pushed, all the presenters and all the producers in the panel below, um, it's almost like a heads up display below for the producers. Everybody, if if you're still connected, you can talk and say, okay, that was a great session. We, we're going to get, thank you all, you know, like personal thank yous, not like the present presentation. Thank yous. You can still have that collaboration talk with those who are on that panel invited as an event um, attendee uh, from a presenter or producer perspective. Yep. And that was exactly what I was going to say as well. Uh, I was just going to talk about that uh, button up here changing from pre-live to live to now ended. So once that says ended, the uh, attendees or not the attendees, the attendees, I should say, are uh, exiting the meeting. Um, there'll be no more uh, communication being sent out either visually or through audio. So when you see this ended button here, you are safe to do a debrief. It's just like pre-live. Pre-live and ended, the presenters and the producers can talk freely without the fear of it being recorded or being sent public. Um, only that when that is read and it says live, all audio and this box on the right is going to be sent live. So that's a great uh, start to get organizations into live events. The one thing I want to call out is that uh, people often wonder where their recording is at. Um, so if you want to get to the recording, you want to get to the user metrics, you want to get to those things um, as, a, as the final, final, final bit to this, you would be able to obtain that, obtain that through your meeting. So if you go to calendar and go to the meeting, um, you'll, and you open up the meeting you'll see that there'll be an option in there once it's available to get those metrics from users or get those um, transcript if, if you have that happening. And you'll have the arrow downloads for getting a Q&A report and 
pull the recording down and you can put it in post and add your bumpers and what have you. Um, that's a great way to kind of wrap it all up. Um, the one thing I say is if you do have very long presentations and very long things that you don't want to store a lot of that in your tenant, um, you want to download all that stuff and you have the option to delete them all. So that's not counting against your quotas for storage. Yes. And one other thing to keep in mind uh, is under the transcript options, it's just English right now. But if I would have selected other languages when I was setting up the event, the translations for those languages would be included for download as well. And uh, as the, uh, the the attendee, if you have the attendee, they will not be able to get these options by default. But as a presenter, you can see what options I have here as well. So notice these are my live event resources as a presenter. And here are my options as a producer. Okay. That's excellent. So I think that's a great start. Um, I know uh, media, Tate's Media does a lot of these for, for organizations. We help out teams that need to be nimble and, and flexible and have a lot of um, – interactions. Is there any final thoughts or tips that you want to throw out there before we close off for the day? No, I think that the only thing I want to end with is definitely do a couple of practice ones uh, before you jump in your first go around. It seems pretty simple. There's two boxes and you, you push things live and post live and whatever, uh, but it gets kind of confusing uh, when a lot of people are talking and there's a lot of back and forth. So do a couple practice rounds, have some fun with it. Um, you know, do some, maybe if you're in, in IT and going to be a producer, just have a couple uh, people on your team join one with you and you know play with the options. And if you need any assistance, definitely contact somebody from Taste for Taste media and we can help you out uh, from there. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you for the demo today. Thanks for the information. Uh, again, anyone has anything uh, further that they'd like to explore, feel free to reach out to the team. We're here for you. Have a good day. Today's show is produced by Mr. Wentworth, directed by Michael Askins. Graphics and artwork provided by Art by Sophia, edited by Mr. Wentworth. Visit the show notes for terms and conditions. 